This morning, we are talking about Shlach Lecha, which is the portion where the spies are sent into the land. Um, and let me just review for a second what happens before talking about a couple aspects of the story. Um, we are in the book of Numbers, Bamidbar, and uh, we're going to be talking around um, chapters 14, 15, 13, 14, 15. So you can, you can leaf through and find that um, as I recap the story, which is that uh, Moses chooses uh, the heads of all the tribes. Um, in Deuteronomy, he says it was at their insistence in order to go into the land of Israel and spy out the land. And they go and they spy out the land and they come back and of the 12, only two of them, Yehoshua, Joshua and Kalev, um, Kalev ben Nun, Yehoshua uh, uh, ben Nun, I'm sorry, and Kalev, um, say, yes, we can, uh, we can conquer the land. The other 10 leaders of the of the various tribes say, no, we were like grasshoppers. They were like Anakim. They were like giants. They saw us as grasshoppers. We seem like grasshoppers to ourselves. Um, and a great wailing and crying breaks out among the people because they feel as though this is an impossible task and there's nothing they can do. The first part of this that I want to talk about before I get to a particularly interesting aspect of this story that is not very often noticed. Um, the first part I want to talk about is why the spies reacted as they did and why Caleb and Yehoshua act differently. So there are many explanations for this, as you might imagine, um, but it seems as though the mentality of um, powerlessness that has afflicted the Jews as a result of the conditioning in Israel, in Egypt, excuse me, has is very difficult to throw off. When you've been a slave for a long time, your parents, grandparents, great grandparents have been slaves. And then you are told, now go conquer this land. Your first reaction, judging from the Muraglim, from the spies, is it is beyond my capacity. I can't do it. The people there live as free people and are warriors. I'm not a fighter. I don't know how to pull this off. And so I cower from the responsibility and the daring and the um, skill that it would take to conquer a land when I've never done that. Kalev and Yehoshua have the souls of free men. They have the ability not only to have faith in God's promise, but also to believe in themselves that they can be part of a force that will, in fact, conquer the land of Israel. And that necessity of breeding free human beings is why, of course, the Jews wander in the desert for 40 years. Because until they are ready to take on the responsibilities of freedom, 
it can't be thrust upon them. One of the discoveries that we made in the course of the 20th and 21st centuries is that to liberate a country is not necessarily to give it the culture of free people. When they've been subjugated for a long time to rule themselves in freedom is a, is an, a, 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 a skill that takes a lot of acquiring and a lot of time and a lot of training. And it can't be done overnight. And all that wandering in the desert has not yet succeeded in showing the Israelites what it is to be free. Um, there is more to it, of course, than this. The one thing that I will mention is the Kli Yakar, who is a commentator born around 1550 um, and uh, is often printed in Bibles with commentators on the side, one of the best known of the biblical commentators, the Kliakar says that the mistake that they made when they sent the spies into the land was they didn't bring a woman because a woman would have taught them how to love the land because of a female's capacity to love. And that's a fascinating comment to be made uh, in the 1500s. First of all, makes me wonder who the Kliakar was married to. Um, but uh, also it does, it does let us know that the thing that we sometimes think of as weakening cultures, diversity, the other, can be strengthening because we can learn from one another. And here he was saying, had they been able to have a woman with them who thought differently and approached things differently, they would have learned and been able to see things uh, differently. It also reminds me, by the way, this is very parenthetical, you can check this out for yourself, but interesting. I read an article the other day that the countries in the world that are led by women almost uniformly are doing better in response to the pandemic than countries that are led by men. Um, I will allow you to develop your own theories about why that may be so. The theory of the writer was that they are better able to listen to the advice of experts and less insistent on their own conclusions. That may or may not be true. I don't know, but it is an interesting fact uh, and you can look it up and debate it among yourselves. Um, nonetheless, the fact that the spies come back and are and do not want to uh, or are scared to enter the land causes, of course, a great crisis of faith um, among the Israelites um, and uh, the other and then and God once again becomes tremendously angry and Moses has to calm God down. The one other point I want to make is, according to the Kotzka Rebbe, the sin of the Israelites was that they said they saw us as grasshoppers. They felt tiny in the face of the Canaanites, who in their eyes appeared as giants. And the Kotzka Rebbe said the sin was caring how the Canaanites saw them. First of all, you don't know. But second, they should care how they are seen in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of the Canaanites. God saw them as a people capable of entering and conquering the land. And instead of seeing themselves through God's eyes, as it were, they allowed themselves to be diminished by seeing themselves through the eyes of the Canaanites. And that, says the Kotzka, was their sin. And that, too, is a very acute psychological observation 
that we often allow ourselves to, first of all, project into someone else's mind how they're seeing us, and then to be diminished by that projection. I think this person is seeing me this way, therefore I will see myself this way. Um, and in a world, especially of social media, this is a virulent uh, phenomenon and a really powerful and painful one. I will put this picture on Instagram and if people like it, I will like myself. And if people don't like it, I won't like myself because who I am is conditioned by the eyes that see me as opposed to my own sense of myself. And that was the second, uh, that was a second interpretation of the sin of the Miraglim, the sin of the spies. But I want to call your attention to one more thing that I'm actually going to make uh, the subject of the sermon this Shabbat. I'm going to elaborate it in the sermon, but I want to point it out here, which is a fascinating aftermath to the spy story. Now, remember, they go in, they're told, they, they feel they can't conquer the land, they come back, they report to Moshe, we can't conquer the land except for Khaled and Yeshua. Um, God gets angry at them. Moses calms God down, says, don't, you know, don't go destroying these people. Um, and then, uh, so, I'm going to go to, uh, to chapter 14, and I'm going to read to you from verse 39. When Moses repeated the words of the Israelites, they were overcome by grief. Early next morning, they set out toward the crest of the hill, saying, we're prepared to go to the place the Lord has spoken of, for we were wrong. But Moses said, why do you transgress the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up. You will be routed by your enemies, for the Lord is not in your midst. They're ready now to go and fight because they think that's what God wants. And he says, no, God doesn't want you to immediately go and fight. You're not ready. The Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there to face you and you'll fall by the sword since you've turned from following the Lord and the Lord won't be with you. God's not there now. Now is not the time to fight. I'll tell you the time to fight. What happens? <clears throat> Verse 44. Yet defiantly, they marched toward the crest of the hill country, though neither the Lord's Ark of the Covenant nor Moses stirred from the camp. In other words, the, the Ark, which always went with them when they fought, did not go. Moshe, the leader of the people, did not go, but they ran out to fight. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that country came down and dealt them a shattering blow at Hormah. Now, why did the Israelites go right after the spy uh, debacle and try to fight a war by themselves that they would lose? I think that here, part of the sin, and I'm not quite sure the best English word to capture this, um, part of it is a, a sort of reactivity, um, a mistaken reflex, uh, a an overreaction to what has just happened. That is, they felt the shame of their own cowardice because God, remember, has just worked 
these remarkable miracles, has brought them through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, has fed them manna, has enabled them miraculously to survive, has helped them with an earlier battle with the Amalekites. They have gone through all of this, and when they go into the land, they're still scared. And when someone points out to them, that is Moses, you're cowards, essentially. Um, God has promised you all this, and you're still scared. They do what people who have no center often do, which is instead of taking in the lesson and understanding it and being able to deal with what it is that they're learning, they way overreact because now the stimulus is otherwise. You know, it's like, as I said before, it's now you don't have thousands of people approving of your picture. Now you have thousands of people disapproving of your picture. And yesterday you thought you were great because you were killing it on Instagram. And today you're worth nothing because people don't like your picture. And the spies react in some or the Israelites in some ways the same way. We thought we were nothing because the Canaanites looked at us as as grasshoppers. But now we realize that we're children of God and nobody can beat us. And so they go to fight this battle out of an absurd overreaction on the other side that just lets us know that the same personality deformation that led to the original crisis is still there. That the reflex of emptiness inside endures. Um, the, uh, the sociologist David Reisman um, wrote a book uh, all about whether someone was self-realized, whether they, uh, that wasn't the term he used, it will come to me in a second. Um, I don't know why I lost it. I had it a second ago. Um, but uh, inner-directed, inner-directed or outer-directed. That is, is someone able to see themselves as they in fact are? Um, inner directed or are they always taking their cues from the way other people see them? And here the Israelites are clearly incapable of taking their cues from who they are, which is how God sees them, who they are, or at least who they should be. And instead they take their cues from external sources. Um, that is from their sense of public shame that they came back in in a cowardly manner, uh, and before that, from the gaze of the Canaanites. As a result, they lurch from disaster to disaster. They go from the Canaanite uh, expedition to the massacre at Hormah. And there's a really powerful lesson in all this. Because what God is trying over and over and over to do, and what Moses tries to do, and this will continue throughout the book of Bamibar, throughout the book of Numbers, um, with, you know, as we saw before, with the meat eating and the quail and the, and the rebellion of Korach that is coming up, is for them to stand as they are 
and not constantly be pulled. Um, when at times the mob is swayed, wrote Frost, to carry praise or blame too far, we may choose something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. In other words, you have to choose a mark beyond human society to get a better sense of who we are and where we are. Right now, in the midst of this virus, I think it's probably very hard to get a fix on who we are and where we are because we can't take an outside view of ourselves. We can't get some distance from the situation that we're in to see ourselves the way God would see us, a sort of eagle's eye view. Um, and the Torah tells us that lesson very clearly in the case of the Muradim, how important it is to understand who you are and how difficult it is to understand who you are. And I would also say, by the way, that this has been for, for centuries, um, for millennia, part of the strength of the Jewish people. And, and it is certainly being tested these days. That is, do, do you have the internal strength to maintain your identity and who you are, despite the fact that you are going to be pulled by very powerful forces in various directions, various directions? Um, and that's hard to do. That is hard to do. And you tend uh, what what happens, what tends to happen is people swing one way and then reactively another. Um, it is only those who have tremendous strength, the Kalebs and the Yehoshua's of each generation that are able to see things clearly and maintain a steady course. But it's not easy. It is not easy. So that is our uh, lesson today from Shlach Lecha. I hope that you found it uh, useful and interesting and helpful.